How, how's how's all with you? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's in a, It's always a slightly weird place being um, between albums. So because uh, the the kind of the the point at which I finish one, uh, I'm almost instantly uh, thinking about how I'm gonna deal with the next one on a practical level. I mean, conceptually, I will I will have had it quite nailed down for a while, but I, I, there's a, quite a few practicalities that one has to sort out. So yeah. um, I, 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 I'm, I'm starting to focus on that kind of thing now. I know what you mean. It's like you always play people your new stuff, but you're kind of way ahead of, you're like, oh, but the new stuff, the you know, your current stuff, you play them, but you're always ahead on the new stuff. Uh, yeah, I am really because I, 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 for me, anything as soon as I've finished a project, as soon as it's mastered or uh, up on Bandcamp or wherever, as soon as that happens, I'd really rather not hear it again and just simply concentrate on the next thing. Right, right. When you listen to, if you do happen to listen to it again, and do you kind of because uh, I make my own music, but I ha- I kind of yeah. hate listening to it because I you know I always hear the mistakes and that kind of drives me daft. Like, uh, yeah, I try and make sure that I'm I'm quite. Although I record quite quickly, kind of the latter stages of an album tend to move a bit slower, and that gives me a lot of time to live with things and Mm -hmm. I think it is an important part of being able to accept your own work after the fact um, without displeasure Um, and therefore anything that you think is going to bother you you will hopefully have listened to it enough times before you finally put the thing to bed and if it turned out that it did bother you that you expunged it replaced it or whatever so by the time that i finish a project the thing that's going to hang me up the most is nothing that i've played because that will all have been vetted to the nth degree but yeah it's more likely to be the mixing the mastering something something like that late something yeah. late late stage that yeah. i was not able to quite nail but felt like i just had to go with it anyway yeah, mixing's kind of the worst, I think, because you, you can en- you can just be endless. You know, there's there's an endless possibility you can do, and sometimes you get stuck in that. Yeah, you can. I, uh, mixing is, as you say, a bit of a weird thing. I, um, conceptually, I've always find it really hard to come to terms with the fact that mm. something mm. that's been very malleable and plastic for quite a long time is suddenly rigid and fixed and I, 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 that does upset me unless I do a mix that I think is really good. That doesn't happen that often. Well, most of them I think are just gonna, kind of tolerable or they're just about past muster. So I, 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 I'm, that's the thing that hangs me up the most is that um, uh, I, I, I hear things in the mix that I feel I didn't quite optimize, but yeah, you know, I've kind of, over the years I've kind of I've I've kind of learned to live with that a bit more. I, it used to be the case that um, it, it would take me about ten years to be able to listen to an album again. Wow. Um, um, whereas now I'm kind of cool with them from the off. Generally, I wouldn't choose to put them on, but if I heard them, I think, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that works. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've, I've kind of made made peace with some aspects of my creativity <laughs> yeah. in the last couple of decades. <laughs> That's a good place to be, though, because it's it's it gets hard. Like, listen, you know, you when you play something to someone and you hear something that you don't like, they will not hear it. You know, you could no. put it there like, what are you talking about? And you just. I know, but um, I, I just don't factor that in. For me, other people's opinions, I'm, I don't seek them out, and I That's good don't. Though. I, I don't particularly. I suppose it's good in a way. It's just a bit bullheaded in a way. I know <laughs> yeah. what I know what I I know what I want this to sound like. If yeah. I can get it to sound close to that, then I'm going to be a happy bunny. Okay. And if anyone comes up to me and says they don't like it, I go, that's tough, I do. And if they go, <laughs> if they go, come up and go, that sounds great, I go, oh, thanks. But it's like not a big deal either way. So it's really, I mean, I'm, I'm really only, if I can please myself, that's really the biggest hurdle. So yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's, my, that's my benchmark, really. I really liked the the new record, melodic Thanks. apoptosis. Well, Did actually, I say that right? Before, Did I, say I think that okay? <laughs> I think it is pronounced apoptosis because okay. I, in my head, I I always thought it was like uh, an equivalent word to like apoxia, where right, you were right. kind of like lacking lacking something, um, uh, the lack of something, but. <laughs> when I heard um, Stuart McConey pre- uh, pre-announce it on Freak Zone last weekend, and he said melodic apoptosis, I thought, Jesus, Stuart, get your pronunciation together, mate. And I thought, no, maybe he's right. So actually I went up and, and looked up the pronunciation in the dictionary and thought, no, he is right. He, it is apoptosis. So in my head, I've been saying apoptosis, but I'm the one that's wrong. So that's all to Stuart there. Um, I... I um, uh, I, I may never be able to come around to calling it apoptosis, but anyway, yeah, um, that's a digression of which there will be several. That's good. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was really, it's like, um, I don't know, it, it, is it a concept album or is there any, is there a story yeah, to it? Because I, it felt like that when I was listening to it, like yeah, kind of journey. Yeah, I think, I felt, I felt there is quite a strong narrative to it. And I, I think, um uh, I make the point in my blog that, that I, it took me as long to to actually come up with the titles that it than it that it did to actually record it, which is to say six months. That's largely because I had six months because I couldn't do the strings because I was um, working. With, uh, you know, I had to wait for lockdown to subside. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I I I recorded all the songs in the order that they appear. Um, I've kind of got into a bit of a habit of that recently. So um, uh, it, it was, it would always the journey was always kind of written in from the beginning. But it turned out it felt like there was a, like another journey going on under the surface there, right. which is to say, you know, the the idea of uh, some of healing after some traumatic event, which is not. Uh, ever very uh, specifically spelt out but you can obviously take your own interpretations of the song titles but the start point and the end point is pretty fixed and um, 
and, and and the kind of the parabola in between that you can kind of fill in to, uh, to some extent based on the song titles but um there's a little bit they're a bit more blurry but i, I the, 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 the 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 kind of the pain of the beginning and the um uh, the kind of the resolution at the end i think are reasonably fixed points yeah it's it's a lot i i think the production on it is lovely i love that 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 drum that's kind of that the the drum sound that's slightly changing throughout the album but has that kind of constant thing about it it works really well yeah i i i got in a i kind of worked out what kit would probably provide the sound for that and i had a a slightly weird uh i always knew how i was going to set up the toms because it's all tom toms with soft felt beaters yeah throughout the album obviously the kind of the tuning changed slightly as we went along so mm-hmm. the drum sound does change a bit as it goes through the album but um uh, yeah i um it, it's a good sound but i i, I it was I, I mean i'd conceived it like that from way back so i was quite chuffed that i managed to get it quite close to how it was in my head that's always a good thing yeah <laughs> are you playing like the vibraphone and the melodica and everything else apart from mm, like the strings and yeah i it's it's much easier for me uh to play everything myself i find that as soon as i start involving other people it starts to get really complicated in terms of trying to um get people to get get people instinctively on the same page right it, they might be on a similar page but th- that's not quite good enough in a way you have to be on the same page and if you're not on the same page then i think well i should be doing it then because then i feel like conceptually it will be more cohesive mm-hmm. and a more single minded less diffuse if 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 there's one person and they understand how it should be then really only that person can do it because trying to explain to somebody else how something should be is a a, a really uh, a losing game from the off so yeah, uh, yeah i I've, i do that as little as possible and actually i did come unstuck on this project because at a very early stage in it while i was recording the very first title i thought i'm going to put strings on this muted strings all the time and um oh obviously all the all the tracks will have to have strings of 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 some amount some more than others obviously but they will all have to have strings on to feel of a piece so uh, at that very early stage i'd already locked myself into a certain amount of torment by <laughs> uh, acknowledging that i was going to put strings on everything and that, that created no end of difficulties not only in terms of coming up with, with the right arrangements but also having to wait for lockdown to finish on i think it was like mid-july and 2021 right. um, before you could actually stick the number of the right number of people in a room together but actually as it happened I, i'd booked the string session for the 4th of july and um they delayed the um uh, so-called freedom day by three weeks but i had the choice of either moving my session or going with with fewer players and with bigger distances between them and i went for that latter option which in hindsight was a mistake but hey you play the cards you dealt and i just i was so fed up with waiting i just yeah. really wanted to get it done so uh, yeah, i made it work somehow 
So it, it, were you? Was it close mic strings, or did you do a decatry, or what? How did you do, record it? Um, we did record the decatry because uh, um, we did at. Oh, you obviously know I did it at rack then. Um, but if you're talking about a decatry, because they've got one there, or did okay. you not know that? No, I didn't know that. Sorry. Okay. Well, they do have a decatry at rack, and um, I did record that. Um, unfortunately, it was. It felt too distant to me. I was uh -huh. picking up too much room sound. So actually, I, I I had asked them to put up a pair of uh, ribbon mics and a pair of valve sixty sevens. Not not a pair, but you know, micing each section. So each section had a microphone. So I, that, I wouldn't call that close miking. I would call that quite distant miking. Um, I ended up using the ribbons. They had quite a. They had they had, they had quite a austere sound whereas the decatry was quite silky uh, i didn't think that really fitted with the rather earthy and um what's the word untutored nature of the melodicas which you know are in the end very basic instruments and I, uh, the river mics had a fitted fitted best for me with them yeah, it sounded, it sounded uh, really good. Were you were you recording, is it all you recording digital or did you at any stage were you going to tape or anything like, like that? No, I, I, my tape days are, are well behind me. <laughs> I am I, I, too into the freedom that digital editing allows me. So mm -hmm. for me to be able to move things around, especially as I record and, you know, everything's improvised. It's like, I can't, it, it, I, I mean, I have recorded on tape, but not since the turn of the millennium. I, I, my very first Heligoland album was recorded on 24 track, one inch tape. Um, and, but I, uh, and, and I, 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 I embraced the, I, the limitations of that and, I, I kind of work within it and I don't have a problem with that album. It's it's quite rough around the edges, mm. almost by virtue of the fact that it was recorded on tape and I couldn't really, uh, you know, I couldn't tidy it up that much. But, uh, you know, there's, there's there are sometimes that works. But I was very, I was, I felt very liberated when, when I, I could go fully digital because it just allowed me, it allowed me a lot more freedom to experiment uh, and I'm sure it's the same with everyone. Uh, that, 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 uh, that there's certain sorts of bands or artists, sorry, um, for whom tape works really well, um, uh, where you know what you're going to do, or you're going to improvise it all, but you don't. You're you don't have any qualms about keeping everything. You're not going to patch stuff up, or if you are, it's going to be quite basic. So. You know, I, for some kind of projects, tape works great. And, uh, you know, I love tape way more. This, I love the sound of tape way more than I do digital, obviously. Yeah. But for me, the advantages of digital outweigh the advantages of tape. So um, reluctantly, also because I don't want to spend huge amounts of downtime ringing a service engineer to come and fix the tape machine that <laughs> just went down so I, it's like I, there's also that aspect of it the maintenance of them even though i'm quite a dab hand at lining them up and um keeping them going i'm not i'm, I'm not a service engineer i'm not a maintenance guy so you know i would have to i spend enough enough of my equipment spends the time in dry dock without adding loads more uh, moving parts to the equation 
Yeah, I could imagine it was a disaster years ago, especially with Sempty and splicing tape and pitching things if you wanted. It must have been just a nightmare if you want to do that. Yeah, I remember Sempty. That was a. It was yeah. It was a. It was. It was a whole different way of thinking about uh, thinking about recording. Mm. Simpler in a lot of ways. You had to. You had kind of. You had to live with a lot of stuff, and that, that's a good thing. It yeah. stops you being so. It stops you being so picky. It stops you obsessing about details. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely to be welcomed. But however, I would say with digital, how, how some people approach digital, uh, they don't they they don't help themselves by recording forty tracks of guitar and leaving it until the mix and to decide exactly how they're going to sort that out. It's yeah. like I would never go into a mix with with those kind of things undecided. So it, generally when I go into mix, maybe I would only have 16 tracks live, um, 60 tracks to, you know, 16 faders moving, maybe less than that on some projects. On 10 sketches for piano, trio i was only the six faders so yeah um, i keep trying to keep it minimal where i can so when you're st when you're mixing now you're still mixing on the board you're not mixing in the box or anything like that yeah uh i do a mixture um it's for me uh, uh, mixing in the box and coming out on the stereo pair um that for me, by obviously a lot of professional studios need to do that because they need to be able to go back and tweak a mix and have it have all aspects of it the same. Yeah. Um, so you know they're going to be if they're summing outside the box. They're obviously going to be doing that with every all the faders maxed out or, and all the kind of signal processing would be done inside the box. But what I do is make life as difficult as possible for myself <laughs> of course by doing a mixture of the two so i think that you know there are some things that i think that the, the I, I use pro tools 5.2 which was brought out in about 2002 Whoa. i think and probably the only person still using pro tools 5.2 on man. mac os 9.22 <laughs> i love it that's epic dude uh, um, so it's like i i've i do really like some of the equalization in there so i, I use um I, I, I do use a, a lot of stuff in the box. Where I where I do think uh where I almost exclusively work outside in in the analogue world is with uh reverbs and delays, uh for which I use tape and I use springs. I don't mm -hmm. think they have good equivalents uh digitally. I'm not a great fan of digital reverbs. I don't I'm not a great fan of reverb anyway. If I'm honest, I use it uh, if I have a particular reason to use it on on um on the melodic apoptosis, all the melodicas have got uh a Roland Space Echo on oh, RE two oh one. And and that's standard throughout. No, I played I played it with that one, that same one, and uh, uh, that I recorded that echo, and that's the echo that is, appears on the final mix. You right. can actually hear it does. You can hear uh, the tape loop sticking in places and the pitch <laughs> going a bit all over the place, especially on track track five. But it's like, yeah, I I really like the quirkiness of analog. Uh, echoes and delays and I also although I do some I do some compression digitally I do a lot of compression 
analog as well because again you can get a lot of filth from that that you just cannot replicate digitally so there's a certain amount of uh, cleanness about digital that I don't really want and I therefore I'm out to mess it up uh, right. in an analog way uh, at, at mixed stage and compression analog compressors really help that yeah, are you, compre- are you compressing on the way in, or are you doing a mixture of both, kind of in no, and then kind I, of? No, I can't. I can't see the advantage of that because I mean, uh, it's it, sometimes you get it wrong. I mean, I maybe I, I wouldn't so much now because I've been doing it a while. But it's is it's nice to do it on the way out where you can see everything. How you can see exactly how the landscape's lying. Okay. So yeah, for me, I just come straight out of microphone amplifiers into Pro Tools, um, uh, so I'm recording the rawest possible signal, okay. um, and then I can process as much digitally and analogly as I want to when I'm mixing. You're not into anything like uh, working with sample strings or any sample instruments? or No, not, not really. They don't, I don't really get much of a kick out of playing them. Mm. Um, mm. I suppose I've got, I guess it's just down to what I enjoy doing. And really, the less time that I can spend at a terminal, <laughs> the happier I am in a way. So I kind of, uh, and again, you've got the, 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 the problem of sampled strings being just that little bit too clean for me. They're so, very bright as well. Yeah, they got they got that little bit of that glassiness about yeah. them that, that kind of bothers me a bit. So, yeah, I'm, I would I can't imagine any situation in which I would use that kind of thing. Yeah, they're kind of like, I guess they're kind of like really pads in a lot of ways. They never, you know, when you put them up, so some people can make them sound great, and then you put them up against a real string section, you're like, okay, that does not sound great, you know. Well, I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of string pads on all sorts of records, but, you know, dance records a lot, I suppose. And they sound fine in that context. I think they work perfectly well. Um, I think there's always a... I think there's always a, a, something of a mismatch if you're trying to mix yeah. analog sounds with digital. I, they don't, I, I've always had a, tro- had a problem getting them to sit together in a way that pleases me so in some ways i think they maybe belong better in well this is only my opinion obviously they belong better in a kind of a digitally contrived universe Mm -hmm. rather than one that's trying to straddle two worlds if you like so yeah I, i i i i don't have a problem with the sound of them in the context of other people's records they just don't really work for me yeah um yeah what what was it like working with a Fairlight? I imagine they were just a nightmare sometimes. Yeah, not at the time because you think, you 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 that's all you have, and you think you you know, you're aware that it's the, the kind of latest, the latest technology. But I never, I don't think I ever felt that. It was in some way beyond me, and it, I never found it unreliable. I didn't. I, I never jumped into Fairlight Three, so I kind of stopped at Fairlight Two, right. now, which is which is what you hear on Color of Spring. So I I, I kind of largely bailed out at that point, and um, 
let people continue on the Fairlight path without me. Right. Uh, yeah, I was. It felt like too. It had a very, it had a very distinctive sound. You, know, you really can't get away from it. But it's, 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 it's like, and it really, it, you know, really dates that album more than anything else does. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, yeah. I, I, I just look on it with some wryness that, that the the use of Fairlight on that very much pinpoints it. Yeah, you know, yeah, in, yeah. In history for me. Whereas like Spirit and Laugh and Suck, they're very, they're not, they're timeless. You know, they could be out of time. They have that kind of sound to them. Uh, yeah, I, I, th I think they take a more kind of classic approach where you could, those sounds could have been generated at virtually any time, apart from possibly the decade that they were actually produced in. I think, I think interestingly, <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, the sounds of, uh, those last two albums are quite, you know, just about as un-80s as you can get. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Thank which, God. <laughs> which I'm really happy about. Yeah, uh, me I, too. I, I made the point on another podcast um, a couple of weeks ago that when I uh, had came out of uh, hibernation, not hibernation, that's very much the wrong word, but when I, I had uh, came back blinking out into the sunlight, having been making laughing stock in the, the summer of 1990, and heard the things that were around then uh, in terms of like My Bloody Valentine, Lush, and at the beginning of the kind of shoegazing scene, um, yeah, you know, for me that was like, oh, thank God the eighties are gone. I'm <laughs> maybe never see their like again. Was was basically how I that was summed it up for me. They, they always sounded. I I never really got on with eighties sounds, so I felt that they, they were just a bit clean and um, pointy for me. So I was really I I embraced the nineties sonic universe really wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think, yeah, those last two albums um, took a much more fundamentalist approach to how the sounds were generated. Yeah, because there's so much albums that have dated horribly since back then. And that's what's great about the 90s. Like, even when you listen to, like, Aphex Twin, like, that stuff's dated amazingly. Like, the, the, yeah. they, they still sound great and, like, Massive yeah, Attack yeah, really and those do. kind of records. Even yeah, the, yeah. even loveless like just sounds that's a fucking amazing record. Yeah, it's it, it is. Um, I, it's a great record. I I, I I I think there's something inherently more pleasing for me about uh, the kind of that that the not the sort of sounds that were being generated in the '90s as opposed to the '80s. There's a lot of reasons for that, which I probably not appropriate to go into them here. But I just, I think. Uh, there were a lot of technical and cultural corners were turned, mm -hmm. um, you know, around uh, 88 to 90. And um, I think that helped to kind of steer the ship in a slightly different direction. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Your new record, is there bass on it? No. Okay, no, I, was, no, I was thinking, that, shit, my hearing's fucked. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a good observation, and there are, there are two reasons why. It works um, well, though. It works well. It does work well. There are two reasons why I, just, I, I had decided from a really early stage that I wasn't going to put any bass on that. The first was, um, 
and uh, and this is probably the first time that I can pinpoint that I I've made a record with reference to an external an external reaction, mm-hmm. which is that I, it, to see it was like a statement for me against the fetishization of bass, which has been prevalent for a long time, and although in the right circumstances, you know, standing in front of a pair of bass bins, I'm as much into bass as the next person. Yeah. There, there are times when I just think, you know, come on now, they, it is about more than just the bass. <laughs> so I, I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to ditch that and just, I just don't and see, I, I know I can make it work without it. I don't think people will miss it, and this is how I'm going to do it. Um, the second reason was a, a musical one, and I'm, it's slightly technical, but I'll do it as untechnically as possible, which is to say that if you remove the root from chords, it makes those chords, or group of notes, they don't have to be chords in the um, accepted sense of the word, uh, the the, uh, the lowest note of any chord, especially if it's low, as like as in a bass kind of low, mm-hmm. is essentially the de- determinator of how that chord functions yeah. uh, against the chords that are around it. So, if you remove that root, it turns it turns all chords and agglomerations of notes into much more ambiguous and fluid things and i felt i had previous come up, previously come up against this on previous albums where i had been very vexed by the fact that i when coming up with bass parts i had been forced to pin down a chord in a way that i really didn't want to do so uh, i decided it for that reason also that i would forego bass and that there would be no notes uh lower than the lowest note on the vibraphone which actually is surprisingly not very low so i think it's um, kind of f below middle c so you can see that i i had to uh, generate the the, uh, the idea that it wasn't going to feel lightweight some other way and obviously i did that by obviously playing drums with uh, felt beaters so they were quite deep and tuning them quite deep and having quite a massive floor tom and quite a large bass drum um and also using very soft mallets on the vibraphone which means rather than have that really kind of springy glassy harmonic-y sound that you get from somebody who's playing a vibe solo on a um, or even a vibes part on a, on a Motown record, a soul record, of which there, there are many. Or, you know, vibes is such a trendy instrument at the moment. It's, I mean, there's a lot of, um, I hear a lot of digital facsimiles, but there are also, there's some really good uh, acoustic vibes playing on records at the moment. And I, 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 I salute that. <laughs> but people, but when, when people are playing solo vibes, they tend to play with harder sticks. And it gives it a lot, you know, it's a fantastic amount of energy. But I was deliberately played with it with really quite soft sticks and played quite quietly. It generates quite a lot of low end. So while there aren't that many subs on the record, it does feel quite you know it does feel quite deep in its own way yeah. yeah for sure yeah and it gives it like without the kind of bass being you know like the 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 house of the track almost it gives it this lovely kind of floaty quality as well you can kind of float in and out of the music because you know bass kind of just 
it brings everything to a, like a, a point because you know you're anchoring everything off it. So it has. A, yeah, I think it right. really yeah. works well. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's it, that was exactly the effect that I was after. Was that th- things would feel it would feel like a more a, a shifting mm-hmm. things were constantly shifting and didn't feel so pinned down um so it was a more amorphous a more intangible kind of uh landscape than if you had a base on it it felt to me yeah because like you don't miss it i only kind of i noticed it but i didn't miss it you know which is a, which is a good thing it's like just yeah. if you notice it then you're like oh whatever but when you just kind of oh there's no bass or is there bass i think that's a great thing and like you said the vibraphone has that kind of it's almost like kind of sub kind of qual- you know it's very harmonically rich so it it's very things. harmonically rich but it actually it doesn't the, the way i did it again without wanting to get too technical i do kind of imagine that um the kind of the low bass would largely be um, provided by the kit but yeah. the sitting sitting above that with a kind of in the higher bass register the the um the vibes take up they they fulfill quite a, a, a heavy role there they do quite a lot of heavy lifting in that kind of higher bass range and they kind of uh because they have as you say a lot of harmonics they extend you right up yeah. beyond the melodica so it kind of i feel i felt that with those that particular combination of instruments that it it would give me quite a wide uh, quite a lot of width and quite a lot of depth and uh if, if it was recorded in the way that i imagined so yeah I, I i did i had i was really confident that it would work i wasn't totally sure that it would until i actually started recording and i was actually quite gratified to find that it, that the things in my head were realizable because mm. they're not always you know. <laughs> it was, it's a very full sound record even though there's like you're using not loads of instruments it sounds very full like yeah it does sound full but actually there are versions that are fuller the interesting the other thing that's slightly well it's not as interesting it was actually really quite tormenting for a while in that what you end up with on uh, the vinyl and the digital versions um is that you're actually really listening to the raw mixes. I, I, I mastered it three times with three different people. Oh, wow. And in, the, and in the end, I just went back and used the raw mixes. Um, hmm. I, it's just because I'd, I felt that any more compression, they, they were virtually unequable without changing the perspective of the instruments. And I'd, I'd mixed it really really carefully mindful of how I wanted things to sit. I wanted the melodica to be in a a very undub way. Uh, You know, the dub melodica, as as demonstrated by Augustus Pablo, uh, it it sits back behind the groove in a lot of reverb. I imagined these melodicas would sit much further forward in a, a, a really the, the most further farthest forward thing and then behind them uh, behind the melodicas would sit the vibes and behind them would sit the kit mm-hmm. so if it was like almost any intervention from a, a mastering point of view sought to change that relationship in some way so right. what I, I said a lot of the 
the mastering efforts uh, that, that I got, they sounded more punchy. They sounded, they made me sound like a better drummer. They <laughs> made it made it four dB louder, and therefore actually much more like everybody else's records in terms of the actual volume of them. Yeah. But I had to come back to. And I kept on playing it to people whose opinion I really respected and going, which of these do you prefer? And they go, yeah, we prefer the master version, Tim. And I go, okay, right, that's good to know. And then, and then four weeks later, I go, you know what, I'm not going to use the master version. So it's like, I, in the end, you just have to go with what feels right. And uh, although... It was a really weird thing. I'd listen to the master version goes, yeah, these are really happening. I really <laughs> think this really adds something. This really brings something to the party. Well done, you guys. Then I put the original mixes back on and I go, a bit like a builder going in to see a bit of dodgy plaster work. Going, I suck my cheeks in and go, yeah, but you know, they've got something. And it's, and it's, if you listen to, again, if you listen to the whole album, mm. then you kind of begin to, kind of understand the fragility and the slightly amorphous nature of the raw mixes the 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 master versions almost uh, almost all of them felt more solid and a bit less like a bit uh, don't have that kind of gossamer quality so i felt that yeah i gained in a lot of different areas with the master versions but I lost that one thing that I'd striven so hard to capture. So in the end, I goes like, well, you know, fuck it. It's going to be a bit quiet than everyone else's record. And okay, a bit slightly not quite as bassy. But uh, I do think in the long run, this is the one that I'll go, I'll go in five years' time. Yeah, I'm really glad I used those versions. Where if I'd used the other version, any of the other versions, I would have gone, you know, I wish I'd used the, I wish I'd used those raw mixes. <laughs> so there you go. I, I, I'm convinced at this point that I made the right call. I've seen that you um, mastered the record at Optimal, the vinyl, which is a great fucking place for mastering vinyl. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, the only reason that they, um, the only reason that what, you, what you, the people that actually pressed it, you mean? Yeah, sorry, pressed yeah. it. Sorry, pressed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the uh, the only reason I used Optimal um, was because I have for the last while um, always mastered my stuff at uh, Gearbox, uh, which uh, is a record label that. Deals a lot with jazz reissues, but not exclusively. Um, but like I just those, go there. Those blue note, the, those new blue blue note records, I think, are a lot of them are yeah. optimal. Sound incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's because they're all um, licensed, probably through Gearbox. So they all. I, I've I I have all, uh, and Gearbox only use optimal as far as I know. But all the stuff mm. that I've had from Optimal has been really good. Um, I'm I'm really happy with. Uh, I've always been really happy with what they've delivered to me. Yeah. Do Do you um are you in, you in the whole uh, camp of vinyl being better than digital? Are you fine about that kind of thing? Um, I don't mind either. Um, uh, in some ways, I find vinyl when I've gone to such lengths to get everything just how I want it. Vinyl obviously then gives you a whole other set of colorations. Yes. So. Um, I have to kind of live with that if I uh, if I'm going to go to vinyl, which I 
I keep saying I'm going to stop doing, and then I keep <laughs> doing it again. And it's like it's insane because I, it's so expensive and it yes. takes so long. Um, it's, I had to wait seven months for this. I, I think I mastered this with Casper at wow. Gearbox in um, in kind of like January and um, January or early Feb. But I, you know, I had to book this slot in. July. I only. I literally. I literally got delivered the vinyl on the day of release, twenty second of July. So wow. that's how long it took. But that's it's crazy. like. I, 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 in some ways, I think. I think it's kind of worth it. I, I kind of like doing the. I like doing the artwork for it. Mm. Uh, I, I like the idea of there being a physical version available. I would release it on cassette if I could find it any du cassette duplicator that gave me anything like anything like a decent frequency response, but I, I just can't. So I am thinking about the fact, I have been doing this for a while, uh, thinking that I would, um, <laughs> that I would invite people to pay an, an incredibly large sum of money for me <laughs> to make them a cassette dubbed straight from my masters onto an oh, wow. Of which I have two, so I could make, wow. you know, I could make really, I, I, I can make fantastic cassette copies. But you know, it's like, do I really want to spend my life making other people cassette copies and charging them twenty-five quid each? I'm not sure that's a good use of my remaining time. So I may put that one on the back burner for a while until I, until I maybe I go in a few years' time. You know what? I'm just stopping this, and then I'm just going to spend the rest. The rest until I die. The rest of my remaining years duplicating cassettes. For yeah, people. what a way to go! You could just uh, make one and charge an absorbent amount of money, and just get some really diehard fan that's going to pay whatever. Yeah, for I it. could do. I could do that, and I I may do that. Whether I have enough diehard fans is open to question. So I don't know how many I'd make. Five, maybe. <laughs> that would, I think that would reflect my. My fan base quite well. <laughs> you d you don't um, you don't intend to play live or anything with the record. No, um, I I couldn't do that, could I? Because I play everything. I, I there's only one. Uh, there was an album that I did consider touring, um, which is to say that the second Heligoland album called Pitcher Flask from Foxy Moxie. Um, which I kind of had a band lined up um, for that. For that, to some extent, um, John Parrish, who plays with Polly Harvey, who I've known for a while, um, was up for playing guitar. Not only up for playing guitar, uh, which I was like really knocked out about because I really rate John Parrish as a guitarist. But uh, he was like, "I was saying you're going to have to like tune it, take a string off, play with five <laughs> strings, and." like change the tuning and play the entire set like that so you know you're up for that and he's like yeah so, so you know, he was on board with it but in the end I couldn't I didn't I, I the whole idea of taking that amount of show on the road um it just became too logistically I, I couldn't make it work logistically, so I had to unfortunately and reluctantly ditch the idea of doing it but it's like but given that almost every Every performance of of almost all the albums I've made since then are strictly one-offs. I just can't imagine how I would ever play any of the parts again. Never mind all of them. So and so to like to delegate them to somebody else um, just seems 
like you get a whole different record and I I don't think I would want a whole different record because I couldn't guarantee that I would like it. <laughs> right. I can at least guarantee that I like this record and that's why probably the only version of it that I'm prepared to countenance because it's the only one that I know I like. I, there might be an infinite number of, a number of universes with other versions of the record, but I might not <laughs> like them. So um, that's why I would never take them on the road, which is also... Um, you know, why I think attempts to play the last two Talk Talk albums are ill-advised. Um, purely from my point of view, they were all born of improvisations, although whittled down improvisations, um, which is to say that almost, you know, well over 90% of... 95% of everything that anyone ever played was erased. That's that's well known. But uh, I, I think to try and kind of make those records again is uh, is not something that I think is a great idea. I, and Mark, Mark, for that reason and other reasons, also decided he wasn't going to tour anything beyond Coral Spring. Yeah. Did you still listen to those records or they're kind of just like you've done them and that's it? No, I don't feel as I don't feel as kindly towards them as I once did. So oh. I got the reasons for that are various um but I would never put one on. There's you know there's various moments in them that if I were to hear one I'd go okay yeah that was quite neat. <laughs> I quite like that. You know things like like you know, I really, I really, I, I, if I if I hear like what you make on the radio, I would turn it down for sure. You know, if I really? we have six we have six music on in our house permanently at, at some level or another, uh, and it does come on from time to time. I just turn it down. The only thing I like on that uh, is um, is Mark's Thunderclap Newman piano solo, which I think is genius, but uh, that's the only thing about that record that I can, that I can listen to with anything approaching pleasure. So, wow. yeah, uh, wow. so I know, but it's like, it's, I don't need to like them, do I? It's like that they're done and I've moved on. I do other things mm -hmm. uh, a very long time ago and I don't go back there. I, I might reference them, reference them in passing in these kind of conversations, but mm. you know, they, they don't, they don't form any kind of part of my, uh, my contemporary landscape at all. Yeah, people. I guess people are always trying to like define people by what they know and what they like, and they kind of expect you to kind of feel the way they do about things. And uh, you know, I know, and I, I find that. Well, I don't know whether they do because I, I mean, people, but people don't come up and ask me whether, <laughs> especially ask me to own the records in terms of liking them mm -hmm. obviously people come up to might randomly come up to me and say and give me and high five me or <laughs> buy me a pint or, or so they 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 might do that and they do do that but obviously i i i accept that with as good a grace as i can mm -hmm. but i it's nothing that i i just accept it as something that happens as some historical whim right but, right uh, right I, I i don't give it a huge amount of thought if i'm honest i get you i liked um i liked the way you didn't put the album on spotify 
because uh, those motherfuckers, well, <laughs> those motherfuckers. Yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> another interesting observation. And actually, I, 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 I had before it was released. Obviously, I had a lot of time while I was waiting for the vinyl, um, and I thought really carefully. I, I, you know, I'd moved everything out off my website, which I've now closed down commercially. Mm -hmm. I moved it onto Bandcamp, which I was. Although I did think that it was ironic and very typical me that as, as a very much a late adopter, exactly the point that I shifted onto Bandcamp, having, you know, it having been such a write-on platform for so long, it was bought out by a gaming company oh, virtually no. today. No, Epic Gaming. I mean, it may be the it may be the case that they'll keep exactly the same modus operandi, and Hopefully. in which case that's fine. Um, but you know, as, as I, I once I'd made that decision to move over to Bandcamp, I had then had to decide what other digital domains, if any, I was going to embrace. But and they, there were plenty of times when during that six, six months when I was moving over to Bandcamp and getting the uh, the calcium chloride website, uh, sorry, the calcium chloride page going. Um, and, and thinking about where, where, where else it was going to be, I thought, you know what, well, it's really stupid not putting on Spotify. I should do that. Because it's obviously I'm missing out on a lot of people hearing it. But in the end, having kind of dallied with the idea and then shrunk back from it in horror because I couldn't live with it, <laughs> I, I just did that one too many times. And I thought, you could need to stop this now. Just stop even considering the idea you're going to put it on Spotify because you'd know if you do, you're going to hate yourself. Mm. So I just stop even entertaining the idea. The only, and I did, the only thing that I did do, um, which was my idea of a compromise, um, was that I put it on iTunes and Tidal. And the only reason I put it on iTunes is because I wanted it Shazamable, um, which oh, it okay. is. So um, I couldn't find any way to do that as a standalone item. If I could, I would have done. Um, but and I, I, I think it's the case. I've read this one. I know it's true. Once something's on Shazam, that it stays there forever. So I could actually delete it off iTunes and Tidal, and it would stay on Shazam. Okay. However, it might not, and I, maybe I'm just prepared. I'm, I've, I'm, I was prepared to live with that situation when I pressed the button going <laughs> iTunes and Tidal, but yeah. not checking the box marked Spotify. <laughs> so if, I could, if I could live with it then, I should live with it now. So I've kind of left it up on those two streaming platforms. I don't think many people will find it there, and I'm fine with that. But I, I do need, I need to be able to live with myself, and I cannot live with my stuff being on Spotify because I would just feel such a hypocrite. I just think it's such a terrible business model. Not, not for me because it's like this is hardly my living. So, but there's so many artists. Who, for whom making records is a living. I know mm. they supplement that largely by playing live and good luck to them with that as well because that's increasingly difficult. But I, I, I feel really bad for people that get uh, £100 per million streams. I, that is for songwriting. <laughs> not, you get more as an artist, but yeah. you know, it's still not a huge amount of money and it's not really a living wage. So... I think it's a poor business model for musicians, and I think, uh, obviously, we'd like the situation to be uh, 
to be different uh, other than what it is and who knows what's around the corner but at the moment i i'm happy with my decision um and i'm prepared to live with the consequences i i like it i was like go on man that was cool i really liked it plus plus it sucks on spotify is you know you spend all that time recording something and trying to make it as good a sound as possible and then it's at 320 and you're like it's shit quality like what yeah you know I know. I mean, if you want to record, if you want to download an MP3 from Bandcamp, you can do that. I mean, I've, I've obviously uploaded WAVs, full res files. Yeah, I downloaded it in the RAVs when I bought, WAV files when I bought it. Yeah, okay. Thank you for that. I mean, I, mean, I, I would imagine that, that most people now, with download speeds, be, speeds being what they are, most people would now download WAVs. So yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that that most people will hear it pretty much as I would like them to. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Do you think also from like a psychological point of view of the way we are of like human beings, when we kind of buy something, we are almost we're kind of, we've made an investment into it. So you listen to it more because you've invested in. It. Whereas Spotify. It's free, like everything's free and you're kind of, I, I know younger people, they just listen to one song of an artist and that's it. They don't listen yeah, to the but album. It's like, but it's like they don't even listen to one song. Yeah. I only, know, I only know this because obviously I observe my kids doing it, but it kind of freaks me out a bit when I see, <laughs> when, they, when they kind of listen to 40 seconds or something, they're halfway through the chorus, then they skip. It's like what yeah. the fuck? Like, yeah. give me a break. It's like <laughs> I don't understand. It's like why is your attention is your attention span so short that you can't even get up to the second verse? I find that bizarre. But it's like, is it, and if you don't like it, then why is it on your playlist? So mm. I don't know. Mm. I find it slightly baffling, but I, I I I do accept that that is the way a lot of people consume music now. But I think one of the other reasons I, I think you, you know you again have made a good good observation there. I don't think my stuff, uh, almost any of it, lends itself to that kind of quite cursory uh, seeing. To I think. Uh, if if somebody tried to get into melodic apoptosis on Spotify on the basis of listening to the first 30 seconds of each track, they're obviously going to go, I just don't get this stuff. What, what I don't, it's just does not going anywhere. So I, I, I could totally see why Spotify is not the ideal, and a streaming service generally is not really the ideal medium for something that I think you would like kind of ingest in a more mm. leisurely way. So, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel a bit, uh, I feel it's a bit self-indulgent in 2022 to like put out an album like that in a way that it feels like a bit conceited to be going, you know what, you can't skip this because it takes so fucking long to get anywhere that you'll have to invest at least four minutes to before you even begin to understand what it is I'm on about. Yeah, I feel that that's a bit of a... I feel that's a bit of a lot to ask of people. And yeah, I, in a way, in the end, I have to shrug and go, yeah, but I can only make... And I keep coming back to this in my own head. Is you can only make the record that you want to make. And I can't... Exactly. In the same way that I... Uh, you know, four years ago, I was very up for making the Shorthead Domestic album. 
and that was the only record that I could make at that point because it was very much demanding to be made. After that, then this one was like, yes, that I could, I can't imagine making another record apart from this one. So uh, it's like I, I, this was the only record that was on the cards, and it just doesn't really happen to be a streaming kind of record for me, but uh, or a Spotify record particularly. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just have to shrug and go. Well, that was just a record that I had to make. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. But it's like it's like uh, I remember talking to uh, uh, some girl I was dating at the time, and she was like, "What? Who do you make music for?" And I was like, "Myself." And she couldn't grasp at that concept. And I'm thinking, if every musician was honest, they would say they make it for themselves. Because if you're making it for other people, you're going to start kind of making shit because you're going to compromise. And if you're making it for yourself. You know, you might love it, and everyone else might hate it, but at least you can live with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have done earlier in my career. I did do that thing of like being that kind of producer where your job in the studio was not only to represent the artistic endeavours of the band, but mm -hmm. also to serve the interests of the record company, who obviously wanted to protect their investment. So if they go, you know, there's three singles on this album, Tim, just make sure they're as like, commercial as you can get them, or, you know, and they'd want to pop in from time to time and make sure that it was sounding the way that the A&R guy envisaged. Mm -hmm. So they are... I, I have been in that place, and it's. It was. I kind of wonder whether it was easier then than now, but maybe that's just because I'm not making that kind of record now. But I think back in the early '80s, maybe I felt like I had some kind of grasp of what made a successful record that, that okay. uh, you know might be acceptable at radio, for example. These days, I don't feel like I have any kind of inside track on that at all. And I, I I hear a lot of, so many things that I think are really interesting mm. and out there and yet successful. So I think, well, yeah, but if you told me, asked me ahead of the game whether I thought that record would be a hit, I'd go, no, it's way too, <laughs> way too out there, way too left field. And yet, you, it's great that bands like Jockstrap are doing really well. I, you know, I really support that kind of creativity where you just think, wow, that's really wacky. <laughs> and yet, there's, you know, they, they're signed really quickly, making a, an album, get played a lot, hats off to them. Yeah, I like it. Even, but, even even something small like people go around listening to Kate Bush now, which is great. But I mean, yeah. so many people didn't know who Kate Bush was, and like now she's number one in the world. I'm like, that is so mad, great, yeah. but it's so mad that just because of a show, she's like number one. Yeah, that is, that that is pretty amazing, and I, and uh, a testament to the. Uh, the way that that song can get under your skin, yeah. Although, yeah, it's a. Uh, there are some really remarkable performances on that record. So, yeah. Yeah. Count of Love is a fantastic record. I guess it, it. You're going back to saying about eighties. It does still have an eighties. You know, she's got that fair light kind of the drums and all that stuff. But in a weird way, it kind of stands out from a lot of those albums too. Even though it is of its time, but it, it's Kate Bush, so you know. I, I, yeah, maybe. I, I I think because of that, Fairlight, I think I 
I probably think of I think of it as a very eighties album, but I think Kate's performances on that like transcend yes. any kind of pigeonholing in terms of a style. So mm-hmm. I uh, I'm I, I I kind of. I, I think of it as eighties, but in a good way. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> when you're, um, especially for the the newest record uh, or the your latest record, do you do you listen to much music, or do you prefer to kind of just go on your own vibe? Because sometimes when you listen to stuff, it can kind of seep in, and you can kind of, you know. I don't, I don't I don't think that um, other people's stuff ever affects what i'm doing really um no actually i'm gonna i'm gonna caveat that that's not true <laughs> i don't i don't i i uh, it, uh, um stuff that i listen to while i'm doing it doesn't affect it uh-huh. however because i because by that time conceptually it's already pretty much fixed however i, I you know, there may be some key albums that i will have listened to mm-hmm in the run-up to the, the, the formulating the concept for an album, and they may well have fed into the process. So I would say that for the uh, Shorthead Domestic album, uh, before that, was I was listening to a lot of Sun Ra. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, I was, uh, that was... That was, there's, there's quite a lot of that in there. And uh, for this... Probably not really anything in particular. I could probably say the drums. I could probably say the 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 really the 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 rough idea for the drums may have come from Pink Floyd and set the controls for the Heart of the Sun. Right. But I, I was, that might be stretching it a bit. But I I I I think that's probably the only thing. Um, the melodica. I think I'd I'd like to think that I kind of. Um, got my initials on that way of of treating it within this within this framework mm. and my vibes playing is lifted pretty much completely from soul records and maybe a bit of modern classical here and there there's a little bit of a minimalism maybe creeps in just a little bit here and there in kinds of repetitions and yeah. distillations over bar lines, that kind of thing. There's maybe a little bit, but I, I've, I, whether that, I don't think that's anything that I've been listening to currently. I think that's just stuff that I've, I've kind of absorbed by osmosis over the decades. Yeah. But the Sun Ra thing, because I don't listen to much, uh, uh, I don't much, much, listen to much, in a very concentrated way. I listen mm-hmm. to six music in a very diffuse way, in a very impassing kind of way, in a very casual way. But I, you know, I listen to Sun Ra in a much more considered manner. Um, so I, I, that's how I know it interested me enough to want to work out exactly what kind of concepts were in play and and some of the things he was playing with but you know there's so many Sun Ra albums out there yeah. I mean his discography is <laughs> so massive but it's like I've got a fraction of what he produced but it's all 
I, I, I can't speak too highly of Sunrise output. I, I just think he's the most brilliant musician. Um, yeah, he's incredible. Uh, I, I just love this almost the only thing I, stuff that I, his that I don't like is like his really early stuff, which is just a bit too conventional for me. <laughs> but once he once he took, once he goes full space cadet, I'm with him all the way. Are you into um, Roland Kirk? Yeah, but not in the same way that I don't have that kind of um I don't have that uh, kind of visceral affection for him that I have for Sun Ra. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, d I do, but yeah. I I'm not I wouldn't call myself a jazz fan, but then I wouldn't call Sun Ra a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. He the, the, you know, he's fringes that for sure, but there's it's almost like he's invented his own uh his own genre which is uh, only belongs to him and he's the only person in it so i i think he, uh he, he's he's very much one of a kind yeah he's, he's definitely for sure i had said to you um when i listened to the record uh, it's always weird saying to people when you hear the records and you're like oh it I, I thought this bit sounded like this because you know it's your own opinion but I had said to you about the Ron Grainer stuff that kind of I don't know if you ever heard the or ever watched The Prisoner but there's these kind of little moments in it that has this kind of vibe yeah. and I it's, was like it's, whoa it's like um, I, I, that uh, that gave me a feeling that I've had many times um, right. where people come up to me and say oh this or I listened to somebody on the radio going, "Oh, we, are, we really like we really like this that Tim did, and we're really influenced by it." And then you listen to what they did, and you think, "Well, that's I don't understand what you <laughs> yeah. got from yeah. that. Where yeah. did you get there from here? So, what have you taken exactly? I don't hear it. And in in that respect, um, I don't. I, I I'm I'm not I'm not going. Hey Paul, you're completely wrong. I don't I don't. That's that's got no basis in fact at all. I it may well do. And I obviously watched The Prisoner when I was much smaller than I am, and I do remember it. And yeah. actually, I went on Spotify and I listened to a bit of Ron Gray. Now, having read your email, just to remind myself what I was just in case I was remembering it wrong. Yeah. Um, I probably wasn't. So I, I don't <laughs> personally understand what you mean, but I totally respect your right to want to make that connection. And I'm not, I don't have any problem with it because I think Ron Grain's output is, you know, largely very awesome so I'm yeah, not okay. going <laughs> to turn up my nose at being compared to him <laughs> well there's these, there's these little tiny moments in The Prisoner where there's like they're almost like backgroundy kind of vibraphone sections that they're I don't think they're even on the scores online that I was like oh what kind of had that vibe not that it sounded like it but you know something can kind of remind you of something sure. even if it has the own vibe but I kind of always you know I, I kind of I it's weird saying it to someone when they create something because you're like, oh, it sounds like that or it sounds like this and you're like, oh, fuck, because yeah. it's not, not what they had in mind. So I was like, oh, shit. I hope, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think there's many people that would be compared to Ron Grainer would go, would start to stand there, legs akimbo with their hands on their hips going, what do you mean, Ron, Ron Grainer? I don't know. I, I don't hear that at all. And I'm very insulted by that. I don't think you were going to get that from anyone. Well, really. good, good you didn't get it. I, the album, the album, I, 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 I um, when I first heard it and I was thinking kind of of a, 
you know, video wise, because I know you seen you did a video of it. But do you ever watch those videos on YouTube where it has a train that goes from like Oslo to fucking some other place, and it's just that? <laughs> I've watched them sometimes, just like spacing out. But yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, in in speed it up or in real time? In real time, like sometimes yeah. I like. Mute I, I, it. I, I was quite. I was quite. I don't think I was influenced, but I think I was reminded of this um, after I did that video with my son Dylan, who actually shot on Super 8. Um, I was reminded of something that I saw, this program I saw on TV a couple of years ago, of basically just a camera on a bus going through the Yorkshire Dales in ah. real time. And it was just like... So you heard people, you heard it stopping at bus stops, you heard people getting on, talking to the driver, then the bus would start again, you know, it's like, so, and then you'd see more countryside. Nothing ever happened. And I, I was really into that. I kind of, it reminded me of watching uh, Big Brother at night when everyone was asleep, and like nothing ever happened, so, which was the only time that I could ever conceive of watching Big Brother. It was, but it did remind me, I do, I do really like, I do really like things, um, where nothing happens and actually that brings me quite neatly onto my plan for the next album which i'm going to start in a month or so hopefully oh cool but i'm, I'm, but I'm going to i've decided that um all being well unless i had suddenly have a panic attack in the interim but i don't think i will i'm gonna i'm gonna live stream the entire recording of it oh um, wow but i think I, I'm not expecting anyone to watch it. I, I consider it largely an artistic conceit, but I, I, I think the idea, I think it will amuse me for sure, the idea of um, people being able to meet, to, 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 uh, there'll be sound, so people can watch me at any time of day playing an instrument to which they won't be able to hear the backing because I'll be wearing headphones, presumably. But they might hear it. I'll obviously mic up the control room and have a camera in the control room too. So they might hear it if I'm playing through speakers and they'll hear everything. But they might otherwise I might just be playing uh, a shawm or uh, vibes or something in the studio. But anyway, that, but that will be on 24-7 and I might work at night or I might be working during the day. Nice. I just think it's a quite a... I like the idea of, um, so just to, uh, to delve into this concept just a little further, I like the idea of a non-curation of image. I have been a bit increasingly fed up over the years by people who are really careful to curate their image in yeah. terms of what, yeah. um, what photographs are allowed out, know what their artwork looks like that it fits a certain a certain that it presses certain buttons or that kind of thing so it's like i've I, I, ever since i started making records on my own i was uh, almost since the beginning i've adopted a very uh i don't i've never had any posed photographs uh on the i've never released any posed photographs they're all photographs which have been taken usually without me knowing or in a very informal setting they're the best um, ones so, yeah they are the best ones for sure and you know even mark when he was doing interviews he would never allow himself to be photographed separately he was like you could photograph me while i'm being interviewed but i'm not doing a photo shoot afterwards so you know it's 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 that's it's just similar sort of thinking to that in a way but it's also um Oh God! Sorry, I've lost my thread. I forgot where I was. In terms of um, live streaming pictures and your yeah. image, 
uh, image. Oh yeah, album, I was going. I was going to sorry. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to go on to album covers uh, and how I don't really have any kind of look to album covers that they uh, they don't usually involve putting things in places. Uh, they don't have any mise en scène in terms of like setting up in a studio any kind of look or anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, the picture flask and Foxy Moxie album is just a, sh- a random shot of crap in a studio with the uh the name of the Heligoland uh painted on a bit of hose pipe so it's very it's very casual and I, there's i don't have a, a any particular uh kind of look to the artwork as, uh-huh. as it goes through but I, i'm just i'm just i'm kind of trying to get away from any kind of curation and although you know i'm aware that other people have had themselves had uh, watched while recording i think that to to make yourself available 24 7 sets kind of something of a new boundary in yeah. it, that there is no boundary um uh, people can watch me at any time doing nothing largely <laughs> or not even there so I, 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 but I would consider that to be as exciting as watching big brother at night um yeah. <laughs> what i used to do so <laughs> that's cool i i i love all that kind of, I, i'm a weird not weird but i i like doing music and having the tv on mute like sometimes i'll play a piano and have a tv yeah on mute. a lot do of people that? do that i i i i, I that's kind of a, a weirdly interesting thing to do i don't think i've ever bargain hunt playing piano <laughs> okay <laughs> I, i'm i salute that it's not something i do myself but i i i, I like the way that you think that you can play and watch Bargain Hunt at the same time. <laughs> I call that serious multitasking. <laughs> well, I'm kind of half watching it, but kind of, you know, once they get to the auction part, I'll probably demute it and then, you know, yeah. give it an I'll watch there. But, yeah, but you, you know, know, it's like, for me, it's like, it's a, it's a struggle for concentration anyway. Or not a struggle for concentration, because I've never had a trouble, I've never had trouble concentrating in the studio. It's the only, t- only place I don't have trouble concentrating. Right. I can concentrate for hours at a stretch without a break. Uh, I'm legendary for it. In, in the studio? What, what, yeah. Wow. Um, I can, when I was, um, when I'm producing other people, but more, more than when I'm on my own, um, when I'm producing other people to, uh, to a timetable, um, I can work incredibly long hours without a break and still function really well. Wow. But what I, what I do what I do struggle for is that moment of immersion where you uh, where you are only in the moment and nowhere else, and that is the the the, the time where you're always going to be playing your best stuff. The only problem with being in the moment and nowhere else is, is that if you're playing into anything that has a chord sequence, of course you're going to completely forget that there's a chord change coming up because you're in the mm-hmm. moment, not, mm-hmm. not the moment coming up. So it's, it's for, it it's only really works when you're working with something which is either freeform or very improvised or you're kind of the first thing on there but it's like i really search for those moments because they mean your concentration is 100 percent, and that's when kind of improvisation becomes really kind of inspired for me yeah so I, I do i do treasure those times when i can when i can grab them that's cool so your 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 newest record that you're not the latest one but the newest one that's coming up um how much of that ha- have you written all of it? Or are you just starting to write it, or what's the process exactly? Uh, so the, no, I have a very 
I have a very loose concept for it. Um, I'm not. It's a very tight concept, but mm-hmm. how that concept will be fleshed out is incredibly loose. So I'm not going to tell you what that is because I think to some extent that will spoil it. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I tell you that we go. What you'll just go. Well, that's just really stupid. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you what the concept is. So, but what it, um, what it will. Um, well, what I, uh, the thing that I will say probably about it is that uh, uh, during lockdown, I commissioned, I asked some friends, um, some of them quite celebby and some not, um, to write some haikus. Um, okay. And so the vocal, the the, the vocal as- aspect of, uh, and and then they came down to my studio after the lockdown and recorded them. So. I, uh, the vocal aspect of this will be provided by other people reading their own haikus. Ooh. That is, that is my, um, that is it as it stands. Obviously, until I actually try it and see if it works, um, I can't say that that's how it's going to end up. But that, that at the moment is what I'm aiming for. And if it doesn't work, it will be the first time. Um, that's something, so first time in the last 10 years that an idea I've had for something conceptually, I've had to completely scrap. So I, I may have to tweak it to some extent, but I'm thinking that in my head, it feels like it is a sound concept. Therefore, cool. I'm hoping that it's going to come out all right. But I, I, I'm hoping to record it quite quickly, but I always say that, and it never is. So <laughs> I expect it's going to be six months. That seems to be standard these days. Yeah, it's like that thing, you know, oh, I'm going to get this done really quickly, and then you start doing it, and you're like, yeah, but I could do this, and I could do You know, it's like, yeah. um, that. that's always what happens, and you're like, and no one, no one, ever, I think everyone outside, people that don't do music, they all kind of think, hey, what's taking you so long? And you're like, yeah, but you did, like, it's it, trying to explain that to people is quite difficult, you know? Yeah, it is, because they just think, well, you just must be really lazy. Yeah. Either really lazy or really crap. <laughs> you think, oh, no, actually, I'm neither of those things. It just takes longer than you think it does. <laughs> uh, the only way to make to make records quicker is to, like, play, place some really severe limitations on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, And that usually that involves not working digitally, because as soon as you work digitally, of course, then you're into that whole shtick that we were talking about before. Uh, it's like if you record straight to quarter-inch tape, so it's like you're mixing as you go or something like that, or somehow you're going to say, okay, we're going to do... You can do it digitally, but we're going to do no digital editing whatsoever, and we're just going to play, go in the studio for four days and that and that's it and then we've got to be finished and we're going to release whatever we come out with you know you've got to be really strict about those things if you're going to make that I mean, yeah. make records quickly because yeah. in the digital world it doesn't lend itself to making quick records no it doesn't it's just uh, the en- endless river of choices which is yeah can, can be many a, choices yeah it's like it's like that thing of watching the Netflix analogy, you go on there and you there's about a thousand things you don't watch anything. You just go, oh, I'm yeah, <laughs> not going to yeah. watch anything. It's all shite. But um, back to um, the 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 live stream and the record, are you going to put that, is it going to be YouTube or are you, have you got anywhere you're going to dedicate that to? Um, I, I've, I've been looking, that's one of the things that I've been looking at over the last fortnight because um, I wanted to get it together quite quickly. Uh, it does look like YouTube is the better option. Yeah, you, know, you can't. You know, the downside is that 
you can't monetize it, but then I was never going to monetize it anyway. So it's like, at least it's a platform that is ubiquitous, whereas like Twitch and all that kind of things, I don't think they're quite as widespread. So I, I think that it makes more sense to use YouTube. It's just a whether, and I know that people have done 24-7 streaming on YouTube before, so I'm pretty sure it can be done. I just need to get cameras, microphones, laptop, Wi-Fi, should be ready to go, really, that should be it. Yeah, OBS, there's a program called OBS that's good to kind of um, do stuff where you can kind of hook your interface up because YouTube is sometimes weird, glitchy when you're kind of going from an interface straight onto YouTube. So if you use a thing called OBS, it's it's a free like software. It's really good for kind of um, having things that aren't shit and I think you can kind of... Um, oh, okay, that's that's a really helpful tip. I'll yeah. definitely look into that. Yeah, because when I used to... Do if, you want to like, say, if you want to send me a link to that, that I will really indeed. I, I will I will indeed. And um, yeah, yeah. But um, so the back to the <laughs> your new record. When you're... Or records in general. When you're um, writing, uh, how long do you spend, uh, like we'll say, writing a song before... You know it's finished, or you, do you is there a, you don't put any time limits on yourself or anything like that? I no, but that's that's slightly back in the day of writing when I used to write songs uh, like that. Um, I can't quite remember my process, but these days I just don't work that way. I I. I uh, like with melodic apoptosis, for example, I might start with the vibes on a particular track and come up with a starting point. Then I might play a little bit of a few bars of that, or then I might set a tempo, play to a click, um, and then play some drums. Then I might go back to the vibes again. Then I might go, okay, now I need to see whether there's a viable melodica melody that goes over this. So then I go to melodica. And then, so it's like, it fits together uh, like piece by piece and kind of sequentially. So uh -huh. things get slotted in together as they go along and in a rather amorphous and difficult to describe way. But in terms of, I, I haven't for a while actually made a record where I've actually sat down and written a song. I haven't done that for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. and I'm not dissing it. It's just that I've, I feel that I've the song format for me at the moment uh, is not where my head's at. But that's not to say that I wouldn't go back to it. And actually, for the album after this next one, I am thinking to going back to a song format um, where I'm just singing with one other instrument and a wasp synthesizer. That's where I might go with that. So that's the one after this one. Oh, I'm, wow. always, I'm, always one I'm always one album ahead. <laughs> so I, 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 the one I'm about to start, I've had nailed down for ages, but um, I'm at the moment I'm fleshing out the one after that. So um, that will gradually solidify in my brain sometime over the next... Uh, yeah, I, I imagine. I, lo I love that you're doing it on a wasp synthesizer. That thing is a mental synthesizer. I remember yeah, Berger I, I, bought the, one the out whole, years the whole ago. The whole of um, the whole of um, the Shorthead domestic album was done on a wasp. But oh, um, it was the only synth that was on there. So um, it's some testament to its flexibility 
um, that I was able to, to get an entire album out of it. <laughs> Brilliant. It's guitars and stuff on it as well, but that is the only synth, and there's quite a lot of synth bass. But it is a, I, it's a really fun it's a really fun thing for somebody who doesn't like having too many choices just have to have the adsr and not too much else it's like uh, that really works well for me <laughs> do you is it an original wasp or is it the i know Berger no. bought a wasp out years ago Berger made this really great clone of a wasp uh, I've, I've, I didn't know about that, but I, de- I definitely have an original one. To the, so the, to the point whereby, if you press too hard on the keyboard, which is obviously just a flat, you know, a bit of plastic with the keys painted on it, yeah. up on a bit of strip of plastic, the, 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 the case is so flimsy that the whole thing bows. <laughs> and it kind of becomes like bowl shaped. It's, uh, it's a bastard it. to play. But I do, I did for the SHD album. I did. Um, hook it up. There is a little MIDI interface that you can get for it, which is really limited, but um, you can play it with a decent keyboard. You don't have to use the one they give you. So cool. I did do that for some of it. That's cool. Uh, that they're the records you did with your wife. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I gotta check those out, man. I didn't know. Yeah, you, I, 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 I'm a, a big fan of that record. I, I'm. Uh, it was quite difficult to make um, in that it's like. Lee and I uh, come from very difficult musical worlds. Okay, uh, I, I, I did, I did, um, we and we had some collisions. But I, I did, as I as is my want, I did conceptually scour it to the nth degree before I started it. Before I even put the idea to her, I said, "This is how it could work. We have our own separate spheres of autonomy." Um, and this is how it will be. And she and she was up for doing it in that way. Um, and as it as it happened, it, it worked okay. Um, but it's probably the only way that it could have worked. But I think the the kind of I I, I I'm a big fan of my my wife's singing and lyrics. So I knew that you know in terms of I, I knew I wouldn't have to worry about what she would come up with because I knew I'd be cool with it. So. I, I, I just felt that there was a good record to be made there in a kind of a loose, kind of hip-hop, but not, obviously, but with a slight nod to those kind of tempi and that kind of weight. Yeah. So there's, uh, that's, that's the, that was the, the bones of it, really. Oh, cool. I am a big... I'm a, it's, a, it's a good record. I, do, I, 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 don't rec- I don't go around recommending my records to people, <laughs> but I, am, I do recommend that one because it's, it's quite approachable and, um, okay. and fun. Well, I gotta, I gotta listen to it now. So you know, you have to yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a legal matter. Um, yeah. Do you? Um, I, I, sorry, go on. No, sorry. Um, I was gonna say, do you still have um, a variophone? I do have a variophone. Oh, the problem, the, the problem, I still have the original one that <laughs> I played all the talks of stuff on. Are you serious? Um, yeah, That's I am. Brilliant. I had I had two, and I sold one to John Parrish because. He did a, uh, an album with Polly that had quite a lot of variophone on it, and he wanted to take one out on the road, um, so I sold him one that wow. he could have. Unfortunately, I'm really miffed about this. I sold him the best one. Oh no! I left. I left myself the pig. <laughs> oh, so oh, no. I've got. I've got a bit of a pig. But the problem with all variophones now, given that they were made in the early '80s, yeah. is that uh, they have a, a kind of a diaphragm, uh, which is. Uh, like one of the main uh, parts of the transducer that that transmits the uh, the sound pressure from you blowing 
into uh, some electrical energy. So that diaphragm that, that forms part of that transducer, the glue on that has now largely perished. So uh. I don't think there are probably, and I don't think it's a user serviceable part. I don't think there are probably any, unless they've been kept in a, uh, some kind of like oxygen-free vacuum environment. I, I would imagine there are probably no working variations <laughs> anymore. I, I think mine does work, um, but it probably doesn't work very optimally. And I, I really need to get rid of it because I will never use it again. I don't think Variophon <laughs> is. It's too. You, you can't get away from talk talk with it. That's the problem. Right. In the same way that, in the same way that, if you play a Mellotron, you can't get away from King Crimson. If you, if you play a Variophon, you can't really get away from talk talk. So that it's too much of a signifier for me. I get uh, you. To, to really use it, and I've, I've largely, I abandoned, abandoned that quite a long time yeah. ago. You could get maybe an orchestra, and you know the have you ever heard of those Vaco orchestrons? They were like, yeah, a, they're great sound. I mean, they're meant to like, but they're they, they have yeah. their own sound. You know, I I I'm very interested in kind of instruments that have their even if they're kind of shitty. There's something you can kind of do. Way, with them. In some ways, in the more shitty, the better. And yes, yes, were really quite uh, temperamental. So, you know, I, I really, I really saluted John Parrish for taking one out on the road because it's like, it's like, uh, it's like have that that story of Keith Emerson having this engineer uh, under under the stage trying to keep his moogs in tune. <laughs> I'm not sure how apocryphal that is, but uh, anyway, I, I, it was. It felt like taking a very fun on the road would be a bit like that. Yeah, that 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 doesn't sound good for your brain. <laughs> All the no. break breakdowns with that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like sure. suddenly to go like really ape in the middle of uh, middle of a song. It's like could be really embarrassing. Yeah, it has a sound though. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, "What the fuck is that thing? That sounds great!" Like, but in a good way. Like, you know, it's like Jesus. Yeah. Because you're not sure, is it a real instrument? I was like, is that a real instrument? Like, yeah. yeah. That's the kind yeah, of the joy so of some it. of them, Some of the, the woodwind facsimiles are more convincing than others. Um, but, you know, the trumpet is pretty kind of pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. So you're, you're already like... <laughs> so you've got the album you're going to do next and you already are on to the next one after that. Do you have yeah. like... Do you have, when you're doing that, do you have like titles for them or just... That comes when no, I, I I don't, and actually titles is always a big problem for me because I quite often these things are um, uh, quite abstract concepts, and it's always quite difficult for me to get away from that um, and give it some kind of concrete identity. As soon as you start titling something, you're putting uh, pictures in people's brains, and that's uh -huh. not always what I want to do. But you see, I can't go back to the numbering thing because I did that on 10 sketches. <laughs> 10 sketches yeah. for Piano Trio is just numbered 1 to 10, and I'm fine with that. But um, I don't feel like I can go back and do that again. I feel like I've, I don't think you can do that more than once. So, I, 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 and actually, it, it did come to me after I'd finished melodic apoptosis that there was a narrative there mm. um and if you want to know more about that or uh, anyone listening to this um podcast wonders that there i would remind you that there is a twitter a 300 tweet 
Twitter blog at uh, at fatpet3, F-A-T-P-E-T, number three, um, which I, it was a contemporaneous uh, Twitter stream that I did while I was recording the album. And I, I do go into that in some detail about how I came by um, the titling thing, um, how I felt that I, I was kind of doing a disservice to the album by abs- making it an abstraction when actually it wasn't an abstraction and there was clearly something in my subconscious that was giving it a journey from A to B and that's why I ended up having to title it and I was so very careful as to how to title it and title the tracks and they had to not only engender the feeling of the track but Mm. work within the framework as a whole. That's why the titles took me so long to arrive at. Uh, I I love the way the record ends. It's got this lovely kind of... um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, there's something... It's got an incredibly long F-sharp chord, which really... uh, It's like refuses to grind to a halt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going in a very... uh, What I'd like to feel is a, a very... It kind of peters out in a very optimistic way, I like to think, um, in in keeping with the title of it and as befits the last title, uh, the last track on the on the uh, album, sorry, you know, where you've obviously gone through some traumatic experience but managed to come to terms with it. Um, so I feel like I feel like it does that job pretty well. Yeah, man, I really I love that song or piece, I should say. Everyone's got song. What that uh, last one? Yeah, I love that one. But I love rats. Uh, or I'm gonna say it, rates on the beach at dawn. Did I get that oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a beautiful. I mean, they're all like beautiful. But I, I, I when I first heard that, kind of pricked my ears because when the strings come in, I was like, wow, that sounds cool. It was kind of unexpected. And I like that. Yeah. You know, you're not expecting something, even if it's for like a moment. It's just like it comes in and it comes out, and uh, I, you know, I always like when I hear something. And you don't expect yeah. it because you nowadays you hear music and you kind of you know what chords coming next and there's no fun in that. No, I agree with that. But I, it's like interesting to me how one can still come up with. And actually, one of the things that I quite like about that album is the fact that uh, okay, take track. Oh, so what can be saved? I think it's track five, um, which is essentially. So only goes apart from the intro. Well, that's the intro is the same. So uh, the the whole verse just goes between one and four. It's only a one and a four chord. Mm. The only difference is that the 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 third is on uh, is at the bottom of the chord, and then it does does really quite a cunning modulation into the chorus, and then an even more cunning modulation back into the verse again. So, but it, uh, I, my my point is is that they are incredibly simple chords, but I don't believe that I have heard them in that particular context, okay. which is why I think I've managed to avoid some kind of repetition somewhere along the line by presenting very well-worn objects in new contexts so that's you know that's the that's that's the grail for me is like how can i keep something simple but yet avoid the banal and avoid something that i feel like i've heard before yeah yeah i've lost i from even a, a like sound perspective and the color of the sound of the record it has that kind of out of time field it's you can go that's from that year or that's from that year it has that kind of yeah. which is cool i think that's a great thing to kind of strive for because like once you kind of can pinpoint 
uh, year or a kind of thing, it, it almost becomes like fashionable. It's tied to a yeah. fashion or a thing. So, you know, I like. Yeah, that. I, I think that. I think that was. Um, I, I think I don't think uh, because of the way I like to record. I don't think I'm ever ever going to be zeitgeisty in a sound sense um, mm -hmm. because I'm just not prepared to use those kind of sounds. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think I'm always going to feel probably too generally analog for, but not in a uh, maybe analog more in a microphonic sense rather than a kind of like an eighties. You know, an original Prophet Five, because you know, obviously, everyone's got an original Prophet Five now that's <laughs> got ten grand to rub together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you, do you have a big collection of like instruments, or do you no, just keep? No, see, this, this is one of the things that this is one of my methods of managing to record so quickly in you know no more than six months by limiting choices i have a ah, really yes. small select microphone collection i only have a wasp synthesizer i have very I, I i i deliberately keep my software out of date so i can't overload it with plugins because otherwise it just can't work fast enough so it's not i i deliberately work at a basic level in order to force myself to stay simple and not fuss about with too many choices. So, you know, it's all part of my grand, my grand plan <laughs> to avoid spending too much time pissing about, basically, which is, you can do indefinitely unless you set yourself some boundaries, and those are my boundaries. I don't have, big, I don't have a massive mic collection and I don't have a lot of instruments. Yeah, that's the other one thing I have too many of. The only thing I do have too many of, and I'm the first person to admit this, I have way too many shakers. So <laughs> if, if there's a shaker overdub to be done, that's going to take most of the day because I have so many. But I do like a shaker. So there so you know, go. Do you know that's what makes my... a great shaker? You know those, um, uh, you put it on ice cream. You know those little kind of sprinkles that you put on ice cream? <laughs> they make great shakers. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, yeah, they literally are called sprinkles. Yeah, yeah, uh, but the shaker they that they come in, yeah. the thing, I, 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 I put half them out and let, let, I use that as a shaker all the time. It's, it's yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that is a good sound. I, 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 I can see that. I, yeah. I buy into that wholeheartedly. You could add that to your collection, you know? Just yeah. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, I need, yeah, like I need more. <laughs> Yeah, like you need more. On that on that um amazing way to probably be great to end the podcast. But um Okay. Man, um thank you so much. I could probably talk for I could talk for hours, but uh, you know hey, you're I, welcome. I, yeah, we've got to give the listener a break, you know. Yeah. And then, <laughs> hey man, um uh, I'd uh, love to do it again sometime if you if you well, yeah, if you that. want to do it after the next album you'll be very welcome. So oh, um, brilliant, you know, man. Brilliant. We'll, we'll do that. Anyway, great. But, yeah, you, um, good to talk to you yeah Tim I really enjoyed this thank you very much for your okay. time and uh, really like the record man have a good okay. one Thanks cheers very brother much. bye bye cheers bye 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 bye